Good morning. Great to have you with us. Starting a new series today out of 1 Corinthians. And the first part of the series that will take us to the summer, uh, we'll go through the first six chapters. The title of the series is Messy Church, Majestic Gospel. And I hope to give you uh, uh, some information about why that is our title. So I would like to say right up front, if your life is a little bit messy or it's been messy or uh, things around you are messy, you're in the right place because uh, we're going to talk about messy lives and this majestic uh, gospel this morning. Now, Paul's going to write a letter, 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians, and I think, and he's going to write it to a church that's messed up. I mean, they have major problems. I'll, I'll list them here in just a little bit. But they were messed up theologically. Uh, they were messed up practically. They were really messed up morally. And what God's going to do is, uh, through right at the beginning, through, through the hand of Paul, as he writes, he's going to talk about, yes, your life is a mess. Yes, your church is a mess. Things around you are a mess, but there's this majestic gospel that makes all the difference in the world. And so I really think if God were to write a letter uh, to the average evangelical church today in America, uh, it would look a lot like 1 uh, Corinthians. And so we want to look at the messy church, and we want to look at the majestic gospel. But let me, uh, let me start out by just doing a little bit of background since we'll, we'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians for a, a number of months. And just let me give you a, a couple of things that are stated right at the beginning of our passage so you can get these kind of things down and you can kind of get the context around you. It says right in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 1, in verse 1, it says that Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle, of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. So Paul is the writer. And in that day, uh, you always would start a letter with who the writer was. Today, I'll get a letter or I'll get a card, and one of the first things I do is I go to the bottom uh, to find out who, who's actually writing me, and then, then I'll read the letter. But they started off with, with who, the, who the author was. And so Paul authored uh, 13 letters of the New Testament, Maybe the book of Hebrews, so about half of the New Testament, uh, 27 books were written, 13 uh, for sure, by Paul. And Paul was an apostle, according to verse 1, which means that he was a sent one. Now, if you, if you know your Bible from the Gospels, when Christ left, uh, there were 12 apostles that were named, and, and, uh, and Judas was one of those. Uh, when Judas was taken off of the scene in Acts chapter 1, they did a number of things to determine well, who's going to take Judas's spot of the 12, and that was Matthias. And then the next one to come along was a couple of years later where Saul met Christ on the road to Damascus, and, and he called him to be as an apostle. So you have this word apostle, which was an official position that doesn't exist today, but the word small a uh, is, uh, is a word to describe every believer. Jesus would say to the disciples, all of the disciples, which would reference us, as the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so I send you. So all of us are sent ones. If you're a follower of Christ, you've been commissioned by Christ. 
Now, Paul went on three missionary journeys, and he started churches, and every missionary journey went on. And then, like in the second missionary journey, he'd go back and visit some that he started. So in his second missionary journey, he started, and the recipients are this church at Corinth. You see right in verse 2, to the church of God that is in that is in Corinth. And so he, in Acts chapter 18, he's going on his missionary journey, and he lands in this community called Corinth. Now, I have an older map. You can see Ephesus, so that would be the letter to the Ephesians that he wrote. You can see Thessalonica, as it's spelled today, up there. He wrote First and Second Thessalonians. And then he came down, and he came to this uh, community called Corinth. Now, the map doesn't show it, but Corinth was actually on this little strip of land between Athens and this larger southern Greece, and that little strip of land is called an isthmus. It connects two pieces of land, and an isthmus connects, uh, uh, separates two seas. So Corinth was a seaport, and that's important for us because there was a lot of commerce uh, there was a lot of wealth, and with wealth, wealth and commerce, as we're going to see in just a second, uh, basically Corinth was known, uh, it, it, uh, it had the name uh, 2,000 years before Las Vegas, Sin City, and it was Sin City. Now, here's the interesting thing about Corinth, um, is that boats would come into the harbor and instead of sailing all the way around the southern tip because the waters were and the winds and the weather was ferocious, about 200 miles long, what they would do is they would come into Corinth Port, they would unload their cargo, they would wheel that across the three and a half miles, and then on the other side of Corinth is another port and they would put it on. Um, a little bit later, they would actually pull the boat in there and they would put the boat up on rollers and actually roll it across three and a half miles. Um, a couple of, uh, about 120 years ago, in the late 1800s, they actually cut a canal. So when they did the Suez Canal, that group of people said, well, where can we cut the next canal? And so like in 1880-something, they actually cut this canal to go all the way across. So now a boat can actually go all the way through there. If you wanted to try it out, you can actually take a pontoon through there if you, uh, if you, uh, wanted, uh, if you wanted to do it. Now, it was called Sin City for a reason, the background on Corinth. This is the temple of Aphrodite. You could go there today. This is a modern picture. If you got to the highest point in Corinth, you would see this is the remains of the temple of the goddess of love, the temple of Aphrodite. And this particular religion where they would go to worship actually literally had a thousand temple prostitutes. They would go down into the cities and they would lure men up to the temple of Aphrodite and that's how they made money. So it's called Sin City. It's interesting, just off to the side, when Paul wrote Romans, and he starts in Romans 1, talking about the corruption in the world, he actually wrote Romans from the city of Corinth. So he's looking out at all that's going on. So that's, that's important background as we think about this letter and the purpose he's writing, the culture of where the little church was. Um, and so there's two specific reasons why Paul writes 1 Corinthians. I'll just give them to you. If you look at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 1, apparently somebody from the church, Paul had started it and then left. 
So Paul gets word from Chloe's friends or Chloe's household in verse 11. It says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling amongst you. So Chloe comes from the church and she tells Paul, hey, you started the church, but man, there's some problems in that church. That church is a mess. Apparently uh, tips Paul off about that. So that's one reason. And then over in chapter seven and verse one, apparently the people from the church had some issues with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I'm glad we have that all solved today, right? No. So they didn't know what to do. And so they apparently, chapter 7 and verse 1, Paul says, uh, I would like to answer the question for which you wrote. Now, it's very interesting to me that it takes him six chapters before he gets to the reason uh, to answer the question. That's because there's going to be lots of problems. Now, I just want to, just as background, talk about the messy church. As I studied this church, um, I, I would not want to pastor this church. Like, the, the way it goes to find a pastor in our circles is you get called, you go before a pulpit committee, they ask you questions, and then you ask them questions. You do your homework. Well, what's the history of the church? Has the church split? Is the church unified? Uh, how many young people are in the church? Well, if you knew the history of this church, you knew all the problems of this church, you would go, no, no, thank you. I think I'll stay, I think I'll stay right where I'm at. It was a mess. Now, I just listed it, and obviously over the next course of time as we hit these chapters, but there could be more written here, but let me just give you the outline of all of the problems. Next week, we're going to talk about the first problem. He doesn't take long, verse 10, but there were divisions in the church. Some were following Paul, and then there was this really cool speaker called Apollos, and some were following Peter, and so they were following personalities rather than following Christ. In chapter 3, he says, you guys should be mature. You, you should be able to teach somebody else, but I'm still having to feed you basically with, with milk. You're, you're carnal. He writes in chapter 5, I, I put the word immorality up here. It actually should be incest. He says, I hear that there's one amongst you that's actually living with his stepmom. I mean, that's, and you're not doing anything about it. Well, that's, could we agree that's pretty messed up? Uh, chapter 6, hey, I just heard that there's members of the church suing one another in court and coming to church together on Sunday, shaking hands like, like everything is good. That's messed up. Marriage and divorce, chapter 7. Uh, uh, idols in chapter 8. What are the role of men and women in chapter 11? Uh, they had communion in, in chapter 11. He said, you know, you have communion and some of you are coming drunk. Like you've been drinking all day. Uh, chapter 12, spiritual gifts, you're doing that, and the other person's doing this. And so verse chapter 13, which is the love chapter, he said, you have all these things, but you lack love. In chapter 14, there's whole things with tongues and the abuse of tongues. And in chapter 15, there's bad teaching about what happens when somebody dies. And in chapter 16, he has to mention about money and giving and, and taking a collection. So the church was a mess. And Paul's going to write them. And let's just step back and let's just be honest for a second here and say that church life can be messy business. Anybody say an amen to that? Have been part of a church that, okay, it's messy business. Let's, let's, just, let's just all say yes, amen, it is. Because uh, a church is made up of people that have messy lives, Amen. So if you're looking for a church today, come on and join us. You're going to fit right into the circle of messy, messy, messy lives. 
Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 26. And Pastor Trevor, in a couple weeks, will preach on this passage. But we shouldn't be surprised that church is messy. Because it's messy people that make up a church. He says in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose that which is weak in the world to shame the strong. God, uh, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And then uh, verse 29 is the reason. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So, so church, is, church is a collection of people that come together on Sunday, and this is like a, a no-boast zone. We're, we're not talking about all the great things that we did for God. We're going to talk about a great God, and we're going to realize there are messy, messy lives. So it's okay to have a messy life. It's not okay to be okay with your messy life, but you're here in the right place. Now, if you were going to write a letter, you started the church... You've led many of them to the Lord, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4. You have a lot of guides in your life, but you don't have many spiritual fathers. I'd like you to listen to me. If you were going to, you knew all this was going on, how would you start your letter? What, what, how would you, would you get right to it or what would you do? Well, I just want you to notice how Paul starts. And if you put your eyes on verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 1, and to me, this is powerful. And this is going to launch us into this idea of the majestic gospel. He says in verse 4, I give thanks. Now, is he just flattering them? Is he trying to win them over? Is he really not going to deal with the problems that are in the church? Is he wanting them to dislike him? What's he doing? No, notice what he's thankful for. He says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of what? What's he giving thanks for? Because of the grace of God. When he thinks about all that's going on and all the people and they should be more mature than he is, he's not giving thanks for your spiritual maturity. I'm not going to give thanks for your love that is non-existent. I'm not going to give thanks for the great deeds you're doing in the community. I'm not going to give thanks for your righteousness because that would be a lie. But what I am going to give thanks for as I look at that church, I'm thankful for the grace of God. Amen? Are you? I mean, I, this isn't original with me, but grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, amen? Unearned, undeserved favor. And so our title, Messy Church, absolutely. Majestic gospel, praise the Lord, amen? Majestic gospel. God's, un, un, uh, God's favor is unmerited favor. So when Paul looks at this church, like they don't, they don't deserve, like normal religion is like, that's a castaway church. They're, they're, they're not good, you know, outstanding citizens. No, their lives are a mess. So if you're here today and your life is a mess, praise God for God's grace in your life. Amen. You've come to a place that's going to tell you it's okay. It's not okay to be okay with a messy life, but it's okay to say, Lord, I, I need your grace in my life. That's what this church is. Almost every one of Paul's letters, when, he, when, when he's talking about issues that are in the churches and he writes them letters, he starts out by saying, praise God, this is who I am because of Christ. Praise God, this is actually who you are because of Christ. And he uses that to remind them who they are in Christ. So when I think of the majestic gospel, 
I think of this jewel, God's unmerited favor, that is multifaceted. And what I'd like to do is take the balance of our time and through these nine verses, look at this majestic gospel and just point out four things. There could be a myriad more of this beautiful jewel called the gospel. But let me give you four facets of the gospel. You should, if you're a follower of Christ, you should write them down and say, okay, am I living my life? Am I, if, am I, am I massaged by the gospel of Christ in my life? Do I know the gospel? Have I entered into it? Do I, can I claim the benefits of the gospel, which are radically, radically powerful? So here we go, uh, four facets of the gospel of Christ. So number one, believers are called out from the world called out from the world, and I'd like you to put your eyes on verse 2, and it says, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, if you look at verses 1 and 2, you'll see the word called three times. Paul called by the will of God, verse 1. Verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, that's the same uh, original word. It, it, it's the same root word. And the word church is literally comes from the same root word of called, and it literally is called out ones. So the church is a group of people who have gathered together, who have messy lives, but they've been called out first, primarily from the world. Ecclesia. Ek is out. Ecclesia is to call. It's to call out. And if you think about the Gospels, he would be motoring along and he would see Matthew, who was a tax collector, and he would call him to come follow him. So, so, so number one in this Gospel, it's a group of people who have been called out from the normal flow of the world. Now, in Scripture, there's three meanings attached to the word world. They'll, they'll, they'll be very simple to put your mind around. The first one, whenever it talks about worlds, is just talking about creation. And so in Acts 17, it says, God made the world and everything in it. And, and we're, we're called to enjoy creation. We're, 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 to, we're to look at the beauty. We're to spend more time giving God glory. In uh, Psalm 19, it says, if you guys don't talk out, the heavens will declare the glory of God, the beauty of the world. And so that's the first use of the word world is just the created world. The second use are, of the word world is the people that inhabit the, this created world. And all we have to do is go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So those are the people in the world. That's the second use. Uh, but the world that we're called out of is the third use and it's cosmos, which is the word for world, speaking of the world system. The world system that God talks about over and over and Jesus talks about is headed by Satan. It's based on self-greed and pride. And it's the world that God warns us about. Here's one of a whole uh, bunch of verses where Jesus himself is talking about the believer. So here's what Jesus said in John 15, and he's going to repeat it in John 17. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, the world system, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
So he's saying, no, when, when you answer the call of Christ in your life, he, he says the church are called out ones. In other words, we're swimming a different direction. That, that's what he's saying. We're, we're going to actually, in John 17, be sent back into the world, but our life is going to go kind of flow against the culture of the world and the world system because we're following Christ. I, I was thinking this week, and, I, and I, I came across this idea of the Gulf Stream. And I don't know, it's, it's really fascinating. It's going to be way deeper than what I'm presenting to you this morning. But basically, the Gulf Stream uh, starts down in the Gulf of Mexico or right down in there, and it flows from the south to the north up through the Atlantic Ocean. And scientifically, the Gulf Stream is in the Atlantic Ocean, but it's not a part of it. The actual Gulf Stream, the, the water is a different color of blue in the Gulf Stream. It's not the same color. The water in the Gulf Stream is a different temperature than the Atlantic Ocean. So it's not even the same temperature. The current and everything of the Atlantic Ocean, the Gulf Stream goes from south to north. It's not even going the same direction. And so the idea that God is trying to get us to say is, if, if you've trusted in Christ and you've been called out from the world, you're in the world, but you should not be of the world. Your life should flow a different direction. And this has all kinds of meanings for us. It, it, it touches every area of our life. And Paul is bringing this up because he's going to be telling these people, you have all this mess in your life because you forgot that you're called to walk and move in the world in a different direction than the world system that God called you out of. I remember the day that I trusted Christ, and it was a conscious decision. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living like this anymore. I'm not making these decisions. I want to go this direction, and that's what it means to be called out of the world. So, somebody said, um, the boat in the water doesn't make it sink. It's the water in the boat that makes it sink. You see what I'm saying? So we're in the world. We're sent into the world. We have a message of hope going into the world. And we're, we have messy lives. We're not, we're not perfect, but we enter into people with messy lives, and we're, telling, we're pointing them a different direction. Amen? Second facet um, is that we're set apart for Christ. So we're, we're, we're called out of the world, Different focus. It's not the world anymore. It's not the world's values. It's not the world conforming us. It's not what the world says is prominent. So now we're called out of that, but now instead of just wandering aimlessly, no, we're set apart for Christ. Christ should be our aim. I just want you to notice two words that are found right there in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, that's the first word you can circle, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, that's the second word, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of, name of our Lord. The word sanctified means to be separated out and separated for. So it's kind of a little bit of a redundant term. You're called out from the world. You've been separated out of the world, and you've been separated for and to Christ. He, he is now the direction we're moving. Everything we do, we're aiming to please Christ with our life. And so we're in this fear of being in Christ. Now look at uh, verse 2 with this little phrase, sanctified in Christ Jesus. Uh, skip down to verse 4. I, thank, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in Christ him. Now, 
A lot of times when you hear about sanctification, you think about, well, this is a process of being more like Christ. But in this particular opening that Paul is using, he's saying, no, Christ, this is actually God's work in your life. Like he actually selected you. He welcomed you. He invited you to come and be with Christ. It's God's work on your life. That's why the second phrase is so important. And it's the word saints. And I just want you to see in the original scripture, and this is part of my background, so I, I, uh, I, don't, I, I said in the first service, I don't need any caffeine to get excited about this. Uh, this is my background. But called to be saints, the words to be are not in the original. You are called saints. The Roman Catholic Church took this phrase, called to be saints, saying as you live your life, as you prove yourself worthy, you do all these things, when you die, maybe there's going to be a collection of enough good works that they'll actually make you a saint, when actually that's the exact opposite of what God's Word said. He's writing to living people. He's writing this letter to saints. So saints are the exact opposite of what that church says they are. Saints are ones who are trusting in the one who is worthy. You're saying, I'm not worthy, but I'm trusting in the one that's worthy. And the word for that is the same. It's the same word as sanctified. It means to be set apart ones. So we're set apart ones. Now, let me, let me get this out of my system and we'll move on. That's that's the little statue for St. Christopher. I'm not going to ask if any of you have glued that on your dash or you've, you've seen that little St. Christopher medal. He's the patron saint of traveling. When I, when I was younger, we had one of those glued on our dash. And, uh, you know, he's going to give us safety as we, as we travel. Well, it didn't work for me because I crashed a car when I was 13. But I remember that. Remember that being up there? You know, like you touch that thing or you pray to that thing? And there's only one problem with St. Christopher. In 1969, the Catholic Church came clean and said, that person is actually a legend. He never, ever lived. It wasn't a real person. You've been praying to air. So if you have that glued on your dash, here's what you do. You just knock it right off. You say, well, it's going to rip some of the top of my dash. That's fine. That'll be a reminder that that empty little spot there was an empty little statue you've been praying to. It's no good. So there's much in 1 Corinthians that is unflattering concerning the Christians. He calls them brothers all the way through. Much that's unflattering, yet he calls them saints. So dare I say... Only Jesus and my mom would say, St. Dave. I like that. <laughs> Followers of Christ with messy lives are saints. It doesn't mean you're, you're like better than anybody. No, it means you're separated out for Christ. And the sooner you can get in your mind, you've been called out from the world and separated to Christ, the better you, the decisions you're going to make in life are. You're going to find your life changing uh, not because, well, there's a problem, I need to go to a counselor. No, you got to get Christ right in your life, right there. And we're calling upon, notice verse 2, you, he calls you uh, to the church of God, to those saints, but called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. So here's the way this goes. He calls you, you have to respond. 
He's, he's always calling. This whole group, he's calling this morning. He's calling you. But you have to respond. You have to call upon his name. And his name is Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be Lord of my life. It can't be me anymore. He's Jesus. He died for my sins. So I need to have my sins taken away. He is the promised one. That's the word Christ. And so I'm going to bow before him. Amen. He called me. I'm going to call upon him. Uh, number three, the third jewel of this multifaceted jewel is that we're washed clean. They were washed clean of their sins. And I want to show you something that just made me hoot and holler in, uh, in, in, my, in my office. So you see the word called in verse 1. You see the word called in verse 2. And then call upon the name of the Lord Jesus in, uh, in, in verse 2 down there at the bottom. And then you see the word again in, in verse 9. God is faithful to whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. There's actually another use of the word in verse 8, but you, will, you won't be able to find it. So just, just look at verse 8. I'll read it. and you, you Just take a personal guess. You don't have to yell it out loud. Where's the word called here? It's a root word called. It's who will sustain you to the end, so God's going to be faithful, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you don't, you don't observe it right off. It's the word guiltless. It's from the root word called. Here's the beauty of this, and I want you to see the beauty of this. So it's the word called, that's the root word, and it's got two prefixes in front of it. It doesn't often happen in the original language. And the two prefixes are not, second prefix is against, third word is the word called, not called against, not called out against, not called in against. And so if you look at this, and we should... If we're followers of Christ, we should, we should be jumping up and down, and it would be okay. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless. When I stand before the Lord, you stand before the Lord, my entire messy life, all of the stupid decisions, all of the sin that I've done, the sin that I've done this week, I just had somebody confess to sin just this morning. Say, you know, Dave, you know, I just, I want to get this off my chest. I've been thinking about this, and, you know, it's, and it's like, well, Praise God, when you stand before God, he's not going to play the movie, This Is Your Life. Do you want that movie played? He's saying right here, Paul said, you are a mess. But let me remind you right up front that when you stand before the Lord, the mess has already been cleaned up. Nothing sticks. I was like, I was in my office, I was thinking about that. Because you know, as a pastor... You're like, well, if people knew that, you know, you're a common sinner and, you know, someday, Dave, you're going to stand before the Lord and all the people in your church are going to find out what kind of person you were in different times. It's like, oh my goodness, that's going to be humiliating. And then I read this is like, no, that movie is long gone. Amen. The real is, is uh, destroyed. There's no, there's no, there's no mark. Look, 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 look at, look at what the psalmist said. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, like if you're taking a record, O Lord, who could stand? What's the answer? Zero. But with you, there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Praise God. Amen. Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that's why you're living, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Amen. Are we guiltless? No. Has he covered the guiltness with the blood of Christ? Yes. Thank God for the majestic gospel. Amen. Because otherwise we'd look at ourselves and say, man, I don't know. But look at verse 9. We're guiltless because God is faithful. It's not our faithfulness. 
I mean, it, it goes like this. It depends on the weather some days. But God is faithful constantly, and you can take that promise to the bank. And then one last one as I close. This is beautiful for us, and we've had the experience of this in the last number of weeks, and we've had a testimony of this in the last number of weeks. Believers are gathered together into community. Now just look at verse 9, and there's, this is, there's beauty in this. So Paul's going to deal with problems starting at verse 10, but the last thing he has to say in his opening is, God is faithful, praise the Lord, you're not. There's problems, there's mess, we're going to deal with them, but we're going to remember there's nobody that's not a mess other than Christ. And God is faithful. He'll forgive your sins. But notice this last use of the word called. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. I wrote in my notes, Dave, you're not going to be called into censorship. You're going to be called into fellowship. And the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a beautiful word. Eighteen and a half years ago, we took it as a part of the name of our church, Lakeside Fellowship. It was, it was uncommon to use fellowship in the title of a church. Like, it would be Lakeside Church, and we got a little guff when we, from some other pastors, like, you don't have church in your name. Well, it comes from here and many other, it's a beautiful word. It, it's the word koinonia. It means to have a shared experience. It means to be a part of a community. It means to have things in common. It's the name of our church. And so what do, what do we have in common? Well, let's not fool ourselves. What we have in common is, is that we have messy lives. And when you collect the messy lives all together, there's about 700 of us. That creates a messy church. But we have a majestic gospel, amen? So for the followers, the ones who, who are all in at Lakeside, you're part of a community where you're not saying your life isn't messy. You're just saying, praise God for his grace and his mercy. Amen. So that's the thing that holds us together. So when, so when there's sin, we, we come alongside. Well, that's not pleasing to God, but, but God has forgiven you. And that doesn't have to be a ball and chain. That can actually propel you forward to serve the Lord. When, when you're broken in life, we lock arms and we come together. Amen. We, we, we have the shared experience of having our lives be a mess, but we, we cling to the gospel. That's what we need to do. And so we constantly need to be reminded of the gospel. So a couple thoughts as I close. For my own life, the power and the peace of knowing who I am in Christ. When, when uh, the accuser of the brethren that Pastor Trevor mentioned, when he doesn't whisper in my ear, uses a megaphone every time I sin or I do that which I don't want to do or I don't do that which I should do. I get this megaphone and then I have to go over here to the gospel and I've got an advocate and says forgiven, washed clean. The power and the peace of knowing who you are in Christ. If you don't know that, then don't leave here today without having that peace. And then just a practical challenge. Are you practicing your position if you say you're a follower of Christ? Are you going against the current of the world? Are you in the world loving the people in the world, but living a life different than the world system? Is your daily practice, is it, does, it, does it reflect on your eternal position, which is guiltless before the Lord? Are you, are you trying to say, rather than use it as a get-out-of-jail-free card, well, I'm, I'm going to be guiltless, so I can live. No, somebody that understands the grace of God wants to live for the grace of God, amen? So Lakeside is a is a messy church, but we have a majestic gospel. 
So if you're here today and your life is a mess, you're in the right spot. We're, we're, we're all a mess. And come, come join us in Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I just say thank you, Lord. I think over a couple weeks of reflecting on this passage and the sin in my own personal life and, and uh, the anger at myself, and Paul wrote in Romans 7 the thing that he wanted to do, he didn't do. What he knew he shouldn't do, he found himself doing. And there's always this flesh that's present and the world pulling you this way. But then as he reflected on the fact that he was in Christ and his sins had been forgiven and Christ had died for him, he comes out on the other end in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Oh Lord, for those who have messy lives and they've never laid the whole mess of their sin and their life and their decisions at the feet of the cross, I pray right now in the, in the quietness of, of their own spirit and with their heart and with their mind, they would just lay their life of sin at the cross. And Lord, you said in Scripture that all those who call upon you um, uh, will be saved. And so Lord... Uh, I pray that some would call upon you for the very first time this morning. For those of us who know you, Lord, I pray that we would confess our sins, knowing that you are righteous and just, and you'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Might we walk in the beauty of having sins forgiven. Uh, might, we, might we be amazed at this majestic jewel called the gospel and the beauty of it. And might that, might that win the day, uh, Lord, help Lakeside uh, to be a place where people with messy lives are welcomed here, and we give them the hope of the gospel that your son purchased. So, Lord, do a, do a work in our midst, and we'll thank you for it. In Christ's precious name, amen.